Hello, Gold Avenue Church. This is Pastor Dave, and we are continuing on in our Go and Make Disciples sermon series. Today we'll be reading Thought Unit 18 from the Gospel Tool, and then our sermon text will be John 14, verse 1 to 10. So Thought Unit 18, and then we'll pray and read God's Word. In Jesus, we see the full image and likeness of God, rich in mercy, compassion, and forgiveness, yet unwavering in truth, justice, and righteousness. Jesus clarifies that all of God's laws and all of God's prophets point to this, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Let's pray before we read scripture. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you long for us to know you. And in your desire that we know you, you've revealed yourself to us. You've spoken and you've spoken clearly. and You've gifted us with this word, the Bible that reveals you. And so we pray that as we open this Bible and we read and we study now that you, Holy Spirit, would be at work within our hearts and our minds to reveal God to us and to help us to know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Reading from John 14, this is the night of Jesus' arrest, the night before his death, and he's just finished celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples and is beginning to talk to them about going away. And he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. Would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. The Word of God. Well, friends, one of my earliest memories of of worship as a child is the portion of our Sunday morning service that was called the children's message. 
all the children, the Sunday school aged kids would come up to the front and we'd sit on the stage for a short message and prayer before going downstairs for snacks and more learning. And what I remember vividly is my friends and I, week after week, trying to position ourselves on the corner of the stage so that the moment the person praying said, Amen, we could bolt off the stage and race each other downstairs. I remember the the jockeying, and I remember the races, and I remember looking forward to snacks. But unfortunately, I, I don't remember much more, because Sunday school wasn't the place where I first began to get to know God. That didn't come for me until much later. Somehow, teenhood and the identity questions that come with it propelled me into asking questions about the God that I'd always believed existed, but didn't personally know. So I can remember staring as a as an early teen at the vastness of the night sky and wondering, Who could have been able to bring all of this brilliance into being? And I remember wondering what so many have wondered, where did God come from? The answer, God always was, didn't seem to satisfy me. How could that be? There has to be a beginning somewhere, doesn't there? How could there be a a personal, creative being at the center of the universe who has always existed. My mind couldn't compute forever. It couldn't wrap itself around the mysteries that it was grappling with. And in the process of that wrestling, I became acutely aware that I didn't know God and that I wanted to know Him. I knew that I knew Bible stories about God, But just as certainly, I knew that I didn't know him. So I began to try in my own bumbling way to begin to get to know God. I tried talking to God, what we call praying. But it felt to me at the time like my prayers didn't make it past the ceiling of the room. And the only reply I seemed to hear or sense was the voice of my teenage insecurities. And so at that time, my deeper questions went unanswered. Not just the ones about the universe, but but also the ones that my heart held for God. Why did you make me? What do you think of me? What is my purpose? Do you listen to me? Hear me? Care for me? Is it possible to know you in a personal way? If so, what would that be like? What are you like? How do I get to know you? All of these questions and more went unanswered as I waded into the rougher waters of my mid-teen years. And so because they were unanswered, confusion took root, and distance between God and I became normal. But the questions persisted. They were always there in the background. And in a way, I think, as I reflect on those questions, I think my questions reflect the questions of many people inside and outside the church. We're all created by God. We're all made in His image. And so we're made for relationship with Him. And yet, here we find ourselves estranged from Him, cut off, orphaned, as it were, disconnected. 
easily confused, and yet longing for the opposite of each of these, longing to know God, to, to even to be liked by God, wanting to be wanted by God, desiring to feel at rest and at home with God, yearning for purpose and meaning, connection and security. We see some of these longings in Jesus' disciples and in this conversation with them in our text for today. So they've spent nearly three years with Jesus. And, and though they, they still don't fully understand who he is, they know he is from God. He is God's Messiah and that he is good. They've lived with him. They've laughed with him. They've left everything for him. And they're all even saying they'll die for him because what they've experienced in him is so, so good. In Jesus, they've tasted a life that is so much more fully alive than they ever knew was possible. A love that's deeper and purer than anything human. A rightness and a goodness that will not bend to human corruption. And an authority and power that are bringing heaven to earth. Wherever Jesus goes and wherever they follow him, they see a trail of rejoicing as he restores sight to the blind cleanses the skin of, of outcast lepers, drives out oppressing demons, heals the paralyzed, feeds the hungry, and gives really good news about God's love for spiritually sick and needy people. In Jesus, they see a restoration of human hearts and lives that is so, so good. And now Jesus says, he's leaving. He's going away. And it's confusing. Jesus seems to be introducing distance into their relationship. He begins to speak to them about going to the Father and preparing a place for them before coming back to take them to be with him. Well, friends, this is wedding language. You may remember that when I led communion a number of months ago, I shared this passage and talked about the way a Jewish engagement involved the exchanging of vows as a cup of wine was passed, and that after a young man had pledged himself to his bride-to-be, they would then separate and the young man would go back to his father's home to build an addition or a room for he and his bride-to-be. And that when the new room was ready, the wedding date would be set and the groom would come to get his bride-to-be. So Jesus is making an incredibly beautiful promise here. He's pledging himself as a bridegroom to his followers, promising to prepare a place for them and assuring them there is and will be enough space for each of you, for each of us, and promising to come back to take them and us to be with him. Incredible. But for all the beauty of his promise, the disciples are right now confused and afraid. They're not comforted. We see them saying, Lord, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how, how can we know the way? The distance is creating confusion. And Jesus responds by saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really have known me, you will know my Father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him. 
But the disciples are still reeling. They're still confused. And so Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And then Jesus gives an answer that I imagine shakes them to the core. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. God and I are one, says Jesus. God the Father is living in me and working through me. What you see in me is God. Boy, I would love to have been a fly on the wall at this moment. This is mind-blowing. You know, the disciples have seen Jesus make some very grand statements. They've heard him align himself so closely with God that the Jewish leaders have been ready to stone him. But nothing this clear, nothing this profound. I am one with God. When you look at me, you are seeing God. If you know me, you know God. My words are God's words. My actions are God's actions. God the Father and I are one. Well, I'm not sure how much the disciples grasped what Jesus was saying right in this moment. But when I read the beginning of the letter of 1 John, I hear that it has begun to sunk in. Listen to this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Well, you can hear the, the joy bubbling over. This is so joyful, so incredible that we just got to share this with you. We've, we've seen God. We've heard God. We've even touched God. And we want you to know him like we do. How do we know him? We know him through Jesus. Jesus reveals the Father to us. Jesus and the Father have such unity, such oneness, that what we see in Jesus is God the Father. So much so that the author of Hebrews begins his letter this way. He says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things 
by his powerful word. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. In other words, when we look at Jesus, we are seeing exactly what God is like. We are seeing clearly without confusion and without distance. We are seeing up close and personal an exact representation of God's being. Almighty God, the Father and Creator of all that exists, is living in Jesus, speaking through Jesus, revealing Himself through Jesus' life and Jesus' actions so perfectly that we can look at Jesus and say, this is what God is like. So as a leper falls before Jesus and cries out, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus gets down, puts his arms around him, looks him in the eye and says, I am willing. We see the willingness of God to come near to all who suffer, to touch those whom the world considers unclean, and to restore bodies and lives. As Jesus engages in a well-side conversation with a woman who's already seen five marriages end in disaster, we see a God who seeks out those whom the world has written off as used goods and offers the living waters of forgiveness and mercy. As we watch Jesus weep before Lazarus' tomb, we experience God's heartbreak and compassion for all human suffering, for everyone who's ever lost anyone they love, for all of the world's pain. As Jesus tells Peter to go catch a fish, pull a coin out of its mouth, and pay the temple tax with it, we see a God with a sense of humor and playfulness. As Jesus tells the story of a prodigal son who wishes his dad dead, then spends his father's inheritance before coming back and begging to be a servant, only to have his father rush out and smother him with love and throw a massive party, we experience God's overwhelming desire for reconciliation, his incredible mercy, his mind-blowing generosity. As Jesus responds to the questions of cagey religious leaders by making it abundantly clear, all of God's laws and all God's prophets clearly call people to a life of loving God with all of one's heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving one neighbor as oneself. We see a God whose demands are not heavy or burdensome, but clear and life-giving. As Jesus defends a former prostitute who's anointing him with oil, we experience a God who welcomes and honors our displays of affection. As Jesus takes little children onto his lap 
and blesses them. We experience God expressing welcome and love for those whom the world does not value. As Jesus speaks about the cost of being a disciple, or about the last days, we hear and we see a God who loves enough to warn and to counsel, to guide and to comfort. As Jesus allows himself to be captured, whipped, torn, beaten, mocked, spat upon, nailed to a cross. And from that cross to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We meet a God whose humility and love are beyond our comprehension, and yet which melt our hearts and draw our love and our worship in return. In Jesus, we see God clearly. In Jesus, we see a God who longs to remove all distance and all confusion from our relationship with him. So much so that just a few verses past our text for this morning, Jesus carries on by saying to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. If anyone loves me, they will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit long to dispel confusion and to remove all distance between us by making their home within us. Friends, as you listen to this message today, I don't know whether and how much you may be experiencing distance or confusion in your relationship with God, but I know what God desires for each of us. He wants to make his home within us. He wants us to experience peace and security. He wants us to know clearly what he is like and how deeply he values and loves us and how present he is to us all the time. He wants us to live daily and even hourly in the richness of his goodness as Jesus did. And I know how he intends for us to get to this place of peace and security and clarity and intimacy. I am the way, says Jesus. I am the way. Jesus is not simply the way to be reconciled with God, though he is that. Jesus is the way to know God, because he is God. What we see in him is the Father. And so, friends, I want to connect all of this back to the call that Pastor Genus gave us last week. 
last week as Pastor Gene explained how Jesus' anointing with the Holy Spirit flowed out of his posture of total humility and surrender before the Father, she called us to a season of consecration. She called us to imitate Jesus' posture of humility by committing ourselves wholeheartedly to the will of the Father in order to invite his empowering and anointing. As I think about imitating Jesus, I think about how his obedience flowed out of his relationship with the Father, his union and unity and oneness with the Father. What would it be like to know the Father as Jesus knows him? This is what Jesus invites us into. This is what Jesus came for. This is what God wants for each of us, to know him, to know him deeply. Obedience and anointing flow out of relationship and union. And so as we respond to that call for wholehearted commitment to God's will, perhaps the place where we begin is by committing ourselves afresh to know God more deeply through knowing Jesus. Paul prayed for the Ephesians, I keep asking that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Well, Jesus tells us, Ask, and it will be given to you. And so, let's make this a season in which we as a church family together ask and pray, Lord, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, help us to know you better. Lord, um, help us to spend time with you through the Gospels, and in so doing, would you, Jesus, help us, as we're with you, to get to know the Father. And so, friends, let's end by praying for this for ourselves and for the church right now. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, because we honestly can just not stop marveling at how good and kind and loving and gracious and inviting and forgiving and gifting you are. It is just amazing to us that you would call rebels like us to yourself and that you would not just forgive us, not just remove guilt and shame, but that you would invite us to be your own children, to be in unity with you, to know you. And um, when we think about that parable again of the prodigal son, that you, you so honor us by clothing us with new clothes and putting a ring on our fingers. You give us a place in your home and in your heart. You long for your children to be fully um, at home in your heart 
for us to know that there's no distance between us and to not have confusion. And, and so, God, we, we, we acknowledge that and we thank you for that. And we thank you and just bless you for the way that you've so clearly revealed yourself in Jesus. And now, Father, we commit ourselves afresh to coming to know you more deeply. We want to honor you by coming to know you. And so we ask and invite your Holy Spirit to pour out a spirit of hunger on us to know you, and then pour out a spirit of wisdom and revelation that as we spend time in your word with Jesus, that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we would know you, Father, and in knowing you, would become like you. And and then we think about the way in which we'll be able really to, to live in the anointing that Jesus had of representing you at all times and in all places because we live as sons and daughters alive in your love and carrying your presence to the world. And so, Father, we just ask and invite by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, search our hearts and remove all distance in any confusion and grow us up as sons and daughters like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.